Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. I, I'm recording this on Friday, and I can't tell you how much fun it is to talk with Christian Toto of HollywoodandToto.com on a Friday. Um, when I'm guest hosting on Relevant Radio, and I'm guest hosting on a Friday, I usually try to get Christian in there. And when he's not available, we try to get Stephen Gray Donis, because I like talking entertainment on Fridays. I don't know. Christian, is, I mean, it's, it's kind of a thing with us now, right? It's the weekend. It's Friday. You have to kind of get a little bit lighter sometimes. And we we both cover some heavy stuff. And it's gotten pretty heavy in the last few weeks. So yeah. anytime you can exhale slowly, I think is a good thing. Well, I, I agree. And uh, we're going to try to keep it on the lighter side today. There's some, We're going to talk a little bit about cancel culture. We're going to talk maybe a little bit about the about Deadspin. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote about that last week, and uh, that, that's still not resolved. Um but what you also wrote about last week, and this is what kind of prompted me to ask you to do this in the first mm. place. You wrote about films in 1999, and I hadn't realized until I read your post what a great year for film 1999 was, with one exception <laughs> on your list. <laughs> hey, nobody's perfect. Yeah, you know, we often, I look back on years sometimes and people say, oh, what's the, I, I have to write a best of list this year. I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I, I got to scramble. I mean, it's just not easy. They just don't make that many great films in a single year. But look back at 1999. I mean, The Sixth Sense and Office Space, American Beauty. It was Best Picture. Uh, Fight Club was in there. Blair Witch Project, which I don't think has aged well, but I, it really did change the landscape in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, and I'm, I'm blanking on a few other movies, but you can just go on and on The Matrix obviously a huge film in so many ways. So it just was a heck of a year election as well. They're all kind of flooding back to me as I speak, but uh, you know, I, you know, I don't, I don't think I'd look back at the nineties and think, Oh, that was the decade for movies. I think people think about the seventies sometimes with the grit, yeah. the indie spirit and the sixties was such a revolutionary moment, but the nineties ended with a bang and it's just a heck of a year. So I wrote about the, the, the hits. They were, they were, it was, it was impressive. You know, when you look back at the 90s, though, and I think that this is one thing that struck me as we were mm -hmm. going back and looking through this, is that the 90s are really sort of the last gasp uh, breath of the 1970s. It, I mean, it wasn't not, I mean, it, there were still too many happy endings. There were still too mm -hmm. many, you know, cutesy, you know, um, sort of contrived, manipulative types of things. But you still had... Um, you still had sort of an independent spirit, I think kind of the grunge spirit, you know, grunge was a, was a musical fashion. It was also a fashion fashion, um, you know, clothing fashion, but there was some of that in film too. And I mean, going up to, I think 1989 fight club, for instance, is, is a great example, even though it wasn't on your list. And, um, but fight club is a great example of that where you had really interesting material that was done in sort of uncompromising ways. And I mean, you can make that argument about American beauty too, I guess, but uh, I just, I, I have a lot of other arguments about American beauty that we can talk about in a moment, but we don't have I, enough time. We need like at least a day and a half. Apparently. Oh my God. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started. Uh -huh. um, but um, you know, I'm just trying to think of some of the other films that, you know, we're going through them. One of the things I think that makes it different is that we were starting to see sort of the comic book universes coalesce in the mm -hmm. 90s, maybe especially in the late 90s, but they really hadn't 
dug into the box office and hadn't dug into the investment in films the way that they started doing in the next decade, right? I mean, and some of those are, are good films. I mean, I, you know, I, it's not my cup of tea, but there was a couple of them that were actually pretty good. And I mean, you can even look at the Lord of the Rings trilogy, a super expensive investment that really pay, it pays off, right? And it's done based on literature, and it and it there's there's a lot of great things that came out of that. But this was really before the mega tentpole type of stuff really started taking place, right? The mega CGI stuff. There was still a lot of room in the '90s to tell small stories. Yeah, the couple other things here. One is. I think the term PC was beginning to gain steam at that time. And they actually made a movie PCU about that, which was not, not nearly as good as it should have been, but certainly it poked the beast in a way. Also, you know, I, I found this, I, I think someone sent it to me a while ago, but I put it in my book, Virtue Bombs, where Siskel and Ebert actually directly addressed PC and what it means, not just for Hollywood, but for critics and how you couldn't be PC. That was, that was doing you know, your readers at a service, which I think was fascinating, but also, you know, Quentin Tarantino came of age in the nineties as well. So he had Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. And, you know, so he yeah. was, he had a huge influence on, yeah. on storytelling and there's a lot of Tarantino copycats, which were, that's not exactly the greatest trend because it was kind of nihilistic without, without his artistic flair. But yeah, I, I, I think we'll look back at the nineties with much more respect than we expected. Well, and I think that your post is part of that. I mean, just as a reminder that there were some really good yeah. films that were not just really good films, right? But were also pretty well rewarded at the box office. Mostly, yeah. Well, Mostly. Office Space is an example of that. That movie, it might have made 12 million. I might have that wrong, but it was it was not a hit. It was a quasi-flop. And then year after year, it just built up this, this cachet. And now we adore it, much like Idiocracy, which was one of uh, Mike Judge's follow-up films. So, yeah, yeah, sometimes they don't hit right away, but then all of a sudden people slowly realize, boy, that was good. And I think that even it, uh, Office Space, even though we live in a different time, you know, a lot of us are working at home right now, you know, that, but there's something about that spirit, the inane bosses, the the crazy coworkers. It doesn't go away. It's, it's always a part of what we are. That's because it talks about people people's actual situations right mm -hmm. kind of hits us where we live um <laughs> idiocracy <laughs> depending maybe but certainly yeah. office space uh hits us where we live and it's the reason why dilbert was so popular is because it was so incisive about mm -hmm. something that was so it's such a common experience and i think that that i mean we can i don't want to get too far into the all the reasons why i think that the comic book um genre has ruined movies but <laughs> but that to me just to be more positive about it, that to me is closer to the spirit of the 1970s than really the 1980s were because mm -hmm. uh, 1980s were pretty slick and they were you know that uh, you know even the cinematography and you know the the media in which films were shot had a really certain type of unreal feel to them Mm -hmm. And the 90s kind of gets you back to that grittier, more realistic cinematography, even in even in films that are pretty heavily, um, you know, special effects like Fight Club, for instance, where there was certainly had special effects, but mm -hmm. it was in service of a grittier story. You had, um, oh, I'm trying to think of uh, some of the other ones on your list. Um, 
Well, I think Election is a great example of a movie that probably wouldn't be made the way it was then because it really didn't have any uh, parallels to modern politics. Like, I mean, you could read into things, but you know, yeah, if, no, that was right. made to, if that was made today, there'd be this Trumpian figure there, and there'd be other you know allusions, and there'd be a MAGA reference and things. But uh, Alexander Payne, the director, and I, I'm assuming co-writer or writer, you know, he told a story that was human and relatable. And you could make the connections. You could see how modern politicians might fall into this category or that category or just human nature. And I, I think, you know, that's a filmmaker who trusts us to kind of do the math on our own and not really kind of wag a finger at us. No, I, th I think actually it was based on a novel. I, I don't know. Right. Maybe, maybe, maybe. maybe he wrote the novel. Um, because I remember well, he, reading something. I think Tom Parada, if I'm getting well, the Tom Parada, right. Yeah, Tom Parada, you're right. Uh, because they had to change the ending because the ending didn't test well. <laughs> it has a different ending in the book, you know. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, apparently, and I mean, I don't think that I have to do a spoiler warner for a film that's been out for like <laughs> twenty five years or so. But apparently, in the book, um, she seeks out—I um, forget the guy's name—you um, know, the Matthew Broderick character, mm -hmm. and he's selling cars. Apparently, still in town, and they have some sort of a uh, some sort of a settlement of the conflict because mm -hmm. she's concerned about what life is going to be like. And he actually um, sort of advises her and they mm -hmm. filmed that <laughs> and they showed it and the audiences hated it. <laughs> so they did the whole thing with him in Washington, DC, <laughs> which is actually pretty hilarious. It's actually a pretty fun ending. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I got to rent the DVD or the Blu-ray and see, because I think it's on the Blu-ray I and mean, you can look at the alternate ending on that. It would have mm -hmm. been interesting to see, but, but yeah, I mean, um, that's a film I didn't like very much the first time I saw it either, but it was interesting enough for me to go back and look at it a couple of times and it's mm -hmm. grown on me since yeah. then. Maybe, maybe more so because I've gotten involved in politics. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Just a coincidence, I'm sure that's all. Yeah. But you're right about that, though. And, you know, Alexander Payne's still around. He did The Holdovers, which I haven't seen yet, and I really do want to see. It's quite um, good. It's quite good. Which is, again, telling a, you know, a, a smaller human story rather than mm -hmm. his you know, epic, you know, CGI type of thing with, mm -hmm. with you know, again, a sort of a grittier, again, I'd say maybe like a 1970s, at least in, in a 1970s informed mm -hmm. uh, um, perspective. Another good one from the 1990s that was Payback. I don't know if you ever saw that one. With Mel, Mel Gibson? Gibson? Yeah. I need to rewatch it. I don't think I was as, as impressed, but maybe I need to kind of check it out again. Yeah, um, that was um, mm -hmm. Brian Helgeland, I think. The, mm -hmm. the, he um, <laughs> he had uh, just, LA Confidential is another one that he was involved yeah. in. And he had just come off of that to do Payback and he wanted to do it as a, as a real 1970s film, right? And the source material was the stuff from the 1960s. I forget the the name of the author, but he wrote these gritty, you know, detective or, you know, um, pulp fiction type of stuff, right? And so he shot the ending, which is very 1970-ish. It's very indeterminate and you don't, you don't know really what happens. You have to figure it out in your own mind. It's not happy. Um, and apparently the, stu the studio fired him <laughs> because he wouldn't change it and they brought it mel gibson ended up shooting like another 25 percent of the film to i didn't know that interesting 
Yeah, it's, it's not a bad plan B. Gibson's a terrific director, but still, you, you do want to have the original vision kind of consistent at least. It was interesting, and I have to tell you, you can buy the you can buy the original Helgeland director's cut, right? It was just mm-hmm. interesting that there's a guy who just won an Oscar. I mean, yeah. literally, had just won an Oscar mm-hmm. for you know, L.A. Confidential, and he had a vision for this that they hired him to you know to employ yeah. and to sort of kick them out of it. Um, and I have to say that I still think I like the original theatrical release a little bit better because it is more satisfying. Yeah. But but it was also one of these things where it's telling stories about very broken people, none of whom you should really like anyway. <laughs> yeah. But it was just a really good story. It was a gripping story. And um, uh, you just, I, I, I don't know if it's a get off my damn lawn sort of thing. <laughs> but i just don't see a lot of that um in theaters you know and also you know we talk about the death of the movie star who who can carry a movie i know mel gibson's got demons and he sounds like he's been a rough soul and i'm i'm really putting it mildly but he not only is a terrific director but he's just a he's a movie star he really has something special about him and i'm sad that he had all these issues and i'm sad that he hasn't been as active on on you know in front of the in front of the camera for a while I mean, he still does things, but there are a lot of genre stuff, a lot of stuff that frankly is beneath him, but he's just really good. I mean, he's just, I mean, there are, there are a few actors who just have that, that sense that you just want to watch him in anything. And he had that still does to a degree. Still does. I mean, he's, and he's still working and I think he's still mm-hmm. actually making his own films. Um, yeah, yeah. I think they're, they're, they're working on the sequel to Passion of the Christ, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, which is going to be huge. And allegedly he's going to start directing Lethal Weapon 5 next year so. Uh, a sequel we sorely don't need but yeah yeah well that's the other problem too is that we keep going back to yeah, yeah. same old stuff that's a different conversation for another day anyway if you're, you go to hollywoodandtoto.com it's a really great uh piece about um a really great piece about films of the 1990s with the exception of his comments on <laughs> <laughs> just put like that put your fingers up on the screen you don't have to see it at all it can just hide it like this as it's going by, you know, you can just, or just leap right over. Just keep scrolling really fast when you get to it. You know, and as I said in my little headline rant, <laughs> American Beauty was the worst Oscar winner I ever saw until Shape of Water came along. And they were both, oh. they both had the same problems. Just Shape of Water had more of them. Uh-huh. Uh, just this sort of knee-jerk anti-suburban anti-family anti-military you know uh uh sort of cliches and and the kids know everything and the parents are dumb and it's like or or worse in in chris cooper's case um he was a great actor but but they're they're all good actors um the cast was great um the bag that floats around that's the most beautiful thing that you ever saw (laughs) hey it's better than forrest gump's feather right well (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also 1990s though right that's right and that was also an oscar award winner and um and usually gets cited as one of the one of the injustices of um the best picture selection uh, uh i forget there was other what was up against forrest gump there was a couple of other ones that were up against it should have won don't know i mean i remember the whole shakespeare in love versus uh saving private ryan controversy uh yeah, I mean, there's been crashes. People look down on that movie as a oh. best winner. Um, yeah, it, it it happens, and I I haven't been enamored with a lot of the recent best picture winners. I just don't think they're very good, or they don't they don't have that cachet. But that's 
maybe a story for another day because I think it's just it's just hard picking out great movies these days. I don't. It is. It, it, it's, it's not easy picking out great movies. That's part of what the issue is. It just isn't because there just aren't a whole lot of them. Um, but let's uh, move on to cancel culture. And this is something that you're writing about today, um, which is the um, question as to whether or not the, Hollywood is waking up uh, to the horrors of cancel culture. And, um, and you cite a Nicolas Cage movie, uh, Dream mm. Scenario, which I kind of heard about before. I don't know if you were writing about it before or if I've read it someplace else. I'm a little late uh, to the party because it's been out a couple of weeks, I think, and I just caught up with it. Oh, well, that must be what it is. So tell mm. us a little bit about Dream Scenario and uh, tell us how much of the scenery that Nicolas Cage actually chooses. <laughs> That's the thing. He doesn't He doesn't even nibble. It's a great performance. Right. He plays a college professor. He's kind of nerdy. He just... He's not a cool guy. He's just a middle-aged guy. You're every man. And for some reason, he starts to appear in the dreams of everybody. Many, many people, people that are living near him, others as well. And he's just like floating in, like almost like a, a like a passerby in the dream. So he gets this odd notoriety and he leans into it because he really is just a, a generic soul. And it's a little bit of kind of viral fame. And so he's enjoying it and trying to make the most of it. And there's a woman who's coming on to him, which, you know, much younger than him, and she's very attractive. So he's intrigued by this. And all this is very engaging. And you're not really explaining how could this possibly happen. But then he starts appearing in the dreams, but as a more sinister force where he's choking people and attacking people and chasing people. And all of a sudden he is, you know, persona non grata. And essentially he is canceled by by the community. And it's all about, I'm, I'm trying to give as much as I can about the movie without giving away too much, but that's, sure. that's the central thesis. And a lot of the dialogue does speak to uh, being canceled. Uh, you know, all the different things that we know about right now in the culture. I actually thought it was maybe a little bit too heavy handed at times, but I didn't see that coming. And I, a, a couple of the quick thoughts here. One is, you know, good for a storyteller, you know, bringing the subject to the fore, it really does matter. Um, the film has, I think at last checked a 92% fresh rating at Rotten Tomatoes. So wow. I thought that my my liberal peers would be like, ooh, they're making fun of cancel culture. I hate it. I hate it. But they're not having that reaction. And again, like I just teased, Nicolas Cage, you know, he can be he can be Nicolas Cage on steroids. We've seen it before. We love him for it, but it is a bit tiring. But here he is completely in character, completely not that Nicolas Cage. It's an excellent performance. And uh, the, the film has real issues in the third act. And I, I found that very disappointing. But this is an interesting movie, a, an interesting perspective, and another great turn by him. You know, I, I think of Nicolas Cage's uh, in the same uh, way uh, that I think, I think it was Michael Medved uh, mm -hmm. described Richard Burton many years ago. Uh, Michael's still around, by the way, but Richard Burton clearly is not, uh, which is that um, uh, Richard Burton reminded him of the um, nursery rhyme about the uh, pretty little girl with the curl on her forehead is that, you know, when he's good, he's very, very good. But when he's bad, he's horrid <laughs> and <laughs> sort of Nicolas Cage, too. And and he can be so very, very good. Uh -huh. And so I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear that. Um, that, uh, that And again, this is Dream Scenario. Uh, which yeah, is out in limited release right now. I, I imagine it might be on video on demand soon. I think it's the kind of movie they'll probably push into that format soon. But my story also talks about Tar from last year, which was Kate Blanchett. 
and that she played a, a conductor and she was essentially canceled. And so that was another movie that touched on this pretty directly about this whole, you know, your personal life, your private life, how it influences your career, how other people respond to you. And then I just heard there's a new show coming soon called, I think it's Douglas is canceled, which again, directly covers this material. And I'm thinking, well, it took you a long time, Hollywood, because we we did, you know, this has been around for a while. It's been really hurting us and it needs to be explored. And I think artists are a good, it's a good way to kind of get into the story by telling adventures about it and comedies and other things. So I'm glad it's happening and I'm glad it's not like, hey, cancel culture is great. Wish we wish we had more of it. Cause I don't, I don't think that's the sense I'm getting from these stories. Well, and then we also have American fiction. Yeah. Which I also haven't seen. I've seen the trailer for it. The trailer is hilarious. It is. Is that out yet? Has that been out? Um or is the that 15th of December or the or 22nd. I'm not quite sure. Oscar it may bait. also be in release. Uh, in limited release, I, I, you know, I, some of these Oscar bait movies, if they don't have the huge budgets, they kind of put them out quietly in select cities, then they expand if they do well. So, but I mean, this is another. This is another. I don't know if that's at least in terms of what I saw in the trailer. I don't know if that's um, directly on cancel culture, but what it is on is um, wokeism and mm -hmm. the and the. Uh, I think the I think you can say it's uh, it satirizes the assumptions behind cancel culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it's it's adjacent. It's not directly talking about cancel culture. Yeah. But woke and cancel culture they they are symbiotic. So you can't have one without the other. But it, it's it's getting American fiction is getting a lot of raves so far, which is interesting. Again, and uh, I, I will I've seen it. I, I don't think I'm allowed to speak fully as far as a review purpose but uh right. yeah it, it it the the trailer is indicative of some of the key themes in the movie and uh it's good that we're having conversations around it and so we'll see it's maybe even a sleeper for best picture well, again it's we're a little too early but it would be intriguing for a movie like this to come out and make some noise and and turn the heads of a lot of film critics which and some of them have seen it at festivals so they're allowed to speak it's kind of a weird situation i i try to oh, no, i don't want to i don't want to lose my credit card my, my credit card no totally and and you should abide by whatever embargoes that you know mm -hmm. you've agreed upon i'm we don't want to worm anything out of you here but um <laughs> i'm looking forward to that because i think it's an again this is more of the type of film that i'm usually interested in um and you know <laughs> And they're out there. They're just, there's not as many of them. And so you don't get the wide range of good quality mm -hmm. examples. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think the one that, um, there's another one about literary world, which was with Michael Caine and Aubrey Plaza. And I can't remember the name of it. Was um, it bestsellers or something? Bestseller. Bestseller. Okay. That's that's correct. Mm -hmm. And that was that was far from a perfect film, but it was a good film. And it told a kind of real story that also had a little bit to do with social, you know, a little bit of satirizing in social media. Mm -hmm. um, but it had a great performance from Michael Caine. It had real, um, it had some real emotional resonance as opposed to just some mindless, you know, manipulative mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and it was fun. It was Aubrey, I like Aubrey Plaza on screen. She's very good. Um, yeah. Michael Caine is legendary for good reasons. Mm -hmm. Um but those are the kind of smaller stories that just generally tend to disappear um, yeah. from the box office. And there aren't a whole lot of them out there. 
you know, the good thing is that you can find them on, on, you know, streaming platforms, maybe even Tubi for free, but you're right. They get buried. I mean, there's only so much room in the marketplace. Uh, Australia like that doesn't have the snap, crackle and pop that's going to draw people in. And then all of a sudden, even though you have the great Michael Caine and, you know, he's he says he's retired now. So it's one of his last performances. Even, even that's not enough of a draw. So it's, it's a weird world we live in where there, there is some stuff you can seek out and be entertained by, but you have to, you have to seek it out. You have to really dig for it sometimes. What do you think about festivals? Should, should people who are interested in, you know, non-blockbuster epic, mm -hmm. you know, CGI thing, should people really pay more attention to the festivals? I've been to a few festivals, well, a couple of festivals. Mm. And for the most part, you want to applaud the effort. <laughs> you know, it's... Wow, that hurts. <laughs> it's just, well, because the ones that I've been to are very, I don't want to say small. They're very, they're very, they're very enthusiastic. People put a lot of effort into them, yeah. but they are really looking at stuff from first-time filmmakers, first-time writers, you know, people who are trying, just trying to crack into the business with what would mm. normally be kind of like student films, the, the quality of student films. And so you don't want to go to a, you don't want to go to a film festival and say, I give this one one star because it just, it doesn't resonate with me. Uh, you know, mm. they, I, I didn't like the way that they did their cuts and their, and their wipes, you know, it's like, you know, come on, dude, <laughs> you gotta, there's context here, you know, and unlike the Ivy League presidents this week, Context actually really does apply when you're dealing with this. Um, you're giving context a bad name. Yeah, I know. No kidding. Um, but I mean, should, should maybe maybe should people should be looking more to the festivals to look for those types of films? You know, I don't disagree. And I think there's various levels. Like you mentioned, there's sort of the starter festival kit in a way. And you have to begin somewhere. You have to learn. You have to grow. And those could be very good beginner steps. I, I will say, you know, on the festival circuit, there's such a such a group think that's happening now that I find very frustrating. You know, I get all these different press releases from a lot of films, and most of them are indie films. And it's, you know, it's the transgender character and 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 his search for meaning. And it's about a small, small town at USA that that hates people of color and they're how they grow. And it's just not that these stories shouldn't be told. Every every story should be told, but it, it just seems so consistent. And so monolithic in a way. And so I, my, my ding on festivals now is that they don't have a real variety of thought. You know, I mean, there's been some really interesting right of center or even just uh, eccentric films in recent years that would never get a, a chance at the festival circuit. I, I'll mention just one. It's called Uppity from a few years ago. It was a it's a movie about a, a black race car driver, true story documentary, but it was directed by Adam Carolla, who, the, the, the you know, the the, the hoi polloi, they don't like him because he doesn't really follow their their rules. And here's this really well-told documentary about this powerful figure who was a, 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 a an icon as far as civil rights and sports. And it wouldn't get a it wouldn't get a look at a festival because it was attached to Adam Carolla. So I mean, I, I think that's what I is a bugaboo for me. Yeah. I, I just I find that frustrating. It just, you know, Sundance is coming up next month. You know it's going to be the same kinds of stories, the same vision, the same perspective. Why not shake things up a bit, you know? And wouldn't that be exciting? Well, it'd be a change anyway. But yes, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and that's the point, you know. Uh, I Hollywood needs to be sh shaken up a little bit here, and yeah. I think audiences are kind of signaling their desire for that. Um, yeah. And you know, we talk about universities being it should be a hub for uh, discussion and debate and free thought 
and and all these great conversations and it's not but i think film is something similar it should be a place where all these different perspectives can go and you know i'll get 16 press releases about how this is the most diverse lineup that sundance has ever had and there's so many people of color behind the scenes well great but they're all telling similar stories i want a diversity of story as much as i want a diversity of of the people telling them i mean i think that's as important exactly well, Christian Tona, we're going to have to leave it at that because uh, mm -hmm. I think we've kind of reached the end of our uh, time here. But uh, you can find out more. You can find out lots more, by the way. HollywoodTona.com. <laughs> find out all you wanted to know about American Beauty, 1991. <laughs> <laughs> what an Oscar, man. I'm, I'm you know. I'm <laughs> <laughs> you can find out all you need to know about Shape of Water at HotAir.com. You got to look up the <laughs> movie review for that one. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But HollywoodandToto.com, he's got his own podcast there as well. Uh, Twitter, at HollywoodandToto. And anything else that I'm leaving out, Christian? That's it. I just want to mention that I spoke to George Slaughter a couple of days ago for my podcast. He is a comedy icon. He created Laugh-In. We had a great conversation. I, I was a little sad that his defense of Joe Biden was so resolute. But otherwise, we had a good, con <laughs> we had a good chat. I hope people check it out on my podcast because, I mean, the guy's a legend, man. He's done it all, seen it all. And he's got some great stories. There you go. Got to go check out the podcast for that alone, but there's lots more there too. So hollywoodandtoto.com, you can find all the links there. Christian Toto, thanks so much for uh, joining us. My pleasure. <laughs>